Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. 2015 is going to be a huge year for humanity for the simple reason that it is the year in which, one, the Millennium Development Goals will expire, and two, the replacement of the Millennium Development Goals will come to being, or at least that's the plan. So the process of creating the replacement of the Millennium Development Goals is clumsily called the Post-2015 Development Agenda. In shorthand, this is now being called also the Sustainable Development Goals. Now, if all goes according to plan, by next September, the General Assembly will have agreed on what those Sustainable Development Goals are. But between now and then is a lot of time for debate, process, and action on these issues. Now, that process point is key. I think at any bureaucracy, the relationship between process and outcomes is close. However, at the United Nations, that relationship is so particularly tight that process sometimes dictates outcomes. So here with me today to discuss both the process of the post-2015 development agenda setting and the substance of those goals that are embedded in that process is Mintu Pham of the United Nations Foundation. So if you have 20 minutes and want to understand, one, what will replace the Millennium Development Goals, two, how will the world decide what replaces the Millennium Development Goals, and three, what are the big points of contention in this whole process, have a listen. Here it is, Mintu Pham of the United Nations Foundation. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So a couple weeks ago, we had the UN General Assembly high-level week. The topic for the discussion was the post-2015 development agenda and how we replace the Millennium Development Goals um, with a new set of global goals for 2030. And it was a a time for heads of state and governments, high-level political leaders to come to New York and take stock of where we are in the process. Um, Over the last 18 months or so, a committee within the UN has been looking at uh, the, what the next set of goals and targets could, would be, what the next, uh, uh, what the SDGs would be, and they came up with a recommendation of 17 goals and a lot of targets. Um, this is quite a bit more expansive than the MDGs were, um, and those goals will be the basis for um, the next set of goals. There may be some tweaking; we're not quite sure yet. But UNGA Week gave us an opportunity to hear from the highest levels of government what they thought about the agenda and what their priorities were for 2030. And it was interesting to see. Yeah. So so what, I guess, were some highlights of what some of the more prominent or important or influential heads of state or countries said about the SDGs? 
Well, it was interesting to see a lot of them talking about the unfinished business of the MDGs. The MDGs have made a lot of, we've made a lot of progress on them, but there's still some areas we need to work on and so some concern over what we need to do next with the MDGs. A lot of talk about um, how we deliver and implement and finance the next set of goals. Goals are only, will only matter uh, insofar as they're actually uh, impacting developments on the ground. Um, there was some talk about how climate issues then uh, are wrapped into the next development agenda. We know that the, you know, we can't sustain growth and uh, development um, without taking into account uh, the impact on the environment and on climate. So that was a big part of some of the outcome there. And then the links between peace and development. That was a real um, outcome. I think some countries, particularly given the issues that were addressed, there are other issues addressed in UNGA, realizing that um, you can't have development without peace. Um, so what, I guess, uh, are some of the broad areas of uh, agreement right now? I mean, there, there have been a few different sort of recommendations from different groups about what ought to be included in the next set of international development goals, which are now being called the SDGs. I know one of them is zeroing out ex uh, extreme poverty by 2030. Are you pretty mm -hmm. confident that that sort of top-line goal will be included in the final SDGs when they're decided? That's probably the one thing that everyone can agree on, that we need to end extreme poverty, eradicate extreme poverty, as defined by $1.25 a day by 2030. We've already uh, met the sort of halfway mark. Uh, we've cut poverty in half. We still have a lot more to go, and the second half of sort of cutting, uh, ending poverty is a lot harder. But we have the tools. We have the will, and I think um, that's an area where everyone can agree on. Some of the other issues are a bit more controversial um, around reproductive health, sexual and reproductive health and rights, around how you address uh, environmental and climate uh, issues, um, economic growth, how you spur that, um, and then how we finance this uh, are the more controversial ones. But in the extreme poverty, there's a lot of consensus around that. Gender equality, a whole lot more consensus than I think some um, observers were predicting earlier on. Um, consensus around the health goals and the progress we've already made. Education and improving quality and not just access to education. Those kinds of things are not controversial this time around. Um, so let's talk about the, the controversial ones because I guess that's probably where a lot of the debate is going to happen over the next year mm -hmm. or so. Um, you know, in you know, like from my observation of the UN over the past you know many years, the you know there you tend to have these like kind of blocks of countries that group together to advance a specific agenda. Uh, you know, and and so I guess how are these blocks negotiating some of these controversial issues? Like you were talking about um, reproductive health. So mm -hmm. just you know thinking out loud, I would imagine that some more conservative countries, you know, are you know, wary of including specific reference to reproductive health, whereas other more progressive countries, maybe in like Western Europe, are, are advancing that. And how yeah. do these kind of controversies get resolved? Yeah, well, so the proposed set of goals and targets include those issues. It was interesting to see that um, there were countries that you would typically think of as being a bit more conservative were willing to... Um, to agree to previously agreed language, whether there's kind of a new frontier of reproductive health, and you know that 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 remains to be seen whether we can tackle those things. Um, the the usual blocks of say the European and Western and kind of donor countries versus the developing countries, um, I think those fault lines 
uh, usually sell around financing and implementation issues, so ODA, um, you know, the role That's of the official sector. development assistance for those of you who right. aren't down with the lingo. <laughs> Great. Yes, official development assistance, the role of aid, conditionality on aid, um, uh, technology and intellectual property and trade issues and debt, those things fall along those traditional lines. Um, but it was interesting. Some, the, probably the most controversial issue we've seen so far is around uh, peaceful societies, how to address violence as a as an uh, instability, as sort of an enabler for development, transparency, governance, and dealing with corruption and bribery. Those that set of issues. So I'll just call it sort of peaceful societies, stability, and institutions and rule of law, that bucket of issues was the most controversial, and it was interesting to see that it didn't fall along traditional lines, that you couldn't cleanly say only donor countries are supportive of that agenda and developing countries are against it. You had a lot of conflict and fragile states or former conflict and fragile states coming out and saying this is really important to us. You had countries who were really strong with their institutions or who took pride in their governance, you know, saying this is really important. You had countries that um, um, see governance and strong kind of accountability um, measures in countries to be able to deliver aid, those countries saying this is really important to us. And then you had countries who already have those structures in place and are saying, hey, back away, we don't want this on the agenda because you're just going to use this to either put conditions on our aid or this is starting to go into peace and security, which is under the remit of the Security Council, or you're securitizing aid, or you know, human rights and security have no room in this agenda. So that was a really interesting one, and that one I would say, along with official development assistance, um, that is the most controversial issue. Peaceful uh, societies, institutions, governance. Can you, I guess, talk about what the controversy is on the official development assistance front, like I guess financing and implementing the goals? Um, what are the maybe competing proposals or competing interests that are that are sort of at work that are you know influencing the outcome here? Yeah, I'd say there's two things. There's sort of the traditional north-south donor-recipient divide of recipients saying, you know, donor countries haven't hit the sort of agreed 0.7% of official development assistance, 0.7% of their own um, domestic um, uh, income, uh, gross domestic income contributing to uh, uh, development, that um, those promises have not been kept. And so, you know, donor countries, you better do that. And by the way, also provide more aid um, and open up your, you know, trade rules and those kinds of things. And then the second I'd say is um, the role of emerging economies. So the world is not just divided in North and South, rich and poor anymore. You've got a whole slew of emerging economies and middle-income countries. And so what's in it for them if you're the sort of Brazils and the Indias and the Chinas of the world, do you have a role to play in not only receiving aid, but also providing aid? Um, and that is incredibly controversial because those countries see themselves as having a lot of development problems still in their own borders, large pockets of poor um, and infrastructure issues. But, you know, they they are also producing a lot, more, a lot more and their economies are stronger. So where do they fall in this? And should they be re more responsible globally for helping um, their developing country counterparts? So I'd say those are the two, the more traditional and then the, uh, the traditional divisions and then the role of those middle and emerging economies. Um, and does the, the 17 goals that uh, the UN committee the, called the Open Working Group uh, recommended uh, a couple months ago, 
Um, what, I guess, obligations do they impose on the developed world, like the, the wealthier donor countries? Mm. Um, you know, the MDGs were unique because, you know, the MDGs were pretty much focused on developing countries exclusively. But you know, my understanding is the SDGs, as you know, they are now uh, proposed, like, you know, have some guidelines for how the rest of the world should, should behave as well. Great question and very astute of you. So you're absolutely correct. The last time MDUs focused on the poorest, this time we're talking about a universal agenda, which means that the goals and targets need to be um, taken on board by all countries, including uh, where we live, the United States. Um, and so, you know, it'll look a little bit different. Poverty in the U.S. isn't defined by $1.25 a day. It's, you know, what, what we define as the national poverty line. What do we need to do there? Um, it is pretty controversial in that um, I think nobody really knows how that plays out. We've never had donor countries, developed countries with those responsibilities. Um, and so we'll see even, you know, in, in terms of their constituents, if their constituents are going to be okay, that they are now on the hook. And I think it changes the paradigm. Um, you know, developed countries were uh, kind of okay, I think, you know, with, with being on the hook if they were also getting development assistance. And that was, but now with this, new um, um, uh, uh, universal principle, it does change things quite a bit. If you look at the goals and targets, some of them are really geared towards developed countries. So for instance, there's a goal on what they call sustainable consumption and production. Um, the kinds of limits that a developed country would put on their own uh, consumption patterns um, so that there's still enough resources on the planet for others, for future generations and for other countries. That's a big political question, and it's going to be you know tough seeing how that plays out. Um, so this segues perfectly into my next next set of questions, which is over a process. Uh, where do we go from here? You know, I think in like any bureaucracy, process influences you know, the outcome. I think that relationship is probably a little more pronounced at the United Nations, uh, where oftentimes you know like how you decide something influences what you decide. Um, yeah. So what is, I guess, what are the next steps? What, where, where do we go from here? So um, we have a bit of a lull in terms of the intergovernmental, the, the negotiations between countries. Um, they have a proposal now, and the next step is for the Secretary General to take the ideas that have already, the great ideas that have been out there in this committee, open, this uh, open working group, uh, the high-level panel that he had appointed, the Secretary General had appointed a little while ago, um, taking all of those ideas in and then putting into what they're calling a synthesis report where he lays out um, his proposal for, um, for the post-2015 development agenda, and uh, that will be used as the basis for full-fledged 193-country negotiations. There are four components of that. Um, of his report and of the overall agenda. The first is the vision and narrative, essentially the kind of overarching declaration, global visionary declaration. The second are the goals and targets themselves, the SDGs. The third is financing and means of what they call means of implementation, the how of this agenda. And then the last, the fourth is monitoring and accountability. How do we make sure we do what we say we're going to do? Well, that's um, kind of... And so, I mean, it's that 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 from like a UN perspective, that's it's sort of interesting that they are giving the Secretary General that much power, right? Like, you know, so it's it's up to him to synthesize, as you said, all these different proposals that have been made over the years from different entities into one mm -hmm. report, and that report is what the world will be debating for the next year. 
Um, I would imagine that like what he decides to include or exclude would um, perturb some countries or some groups of countries. Right. So again, you're clearly a seasoned, well-seasoned UN observer. I've been doing um, this for a while. <laughs> so that's, that's the million-dollar question right now, or I should say billion-dollar question right now. Um, the member states said that he should put together a synthesis report. The word synthesis is interesting because is it just him reporting back on what's already been out there in a shorter Copying and pasting form? the other reports Copying and pasting what else yeah. is up. Exactly. Or does he actually have leeway to put out boldly his own proposal, proposals and how bold can he be? And that's a big question of him kind of testing the winds of how much do country, how, how much credibility does he have? How much will they put stock into what he says? And then how much can he kind of push the envelope? And I think there's kind of a short-term issue to consider and a long-term. If you're looking at an agenda for 2030, and we've got to make a lot of changes before, you know, there's, there's a lot that has to happen for us to have the world that we say we want by 2030, ending extreme poverty, dealing with climate, and these other things. He's got to make a pretty bold agenda. So, so some would say he needs to really get out there and say exactly what he thinks has to happen in this report. Others will say, hey, you know what? The political winds aren't necessarily there. If he goes out too far out on a limb, everyone will dismiss him, and they're just going to do whatever they want anyway. Um, and so where should he fall? And the short term is, does he have the political space to kind of be bolder, or should he just keep in, in mind the longer term, what actually needs to happen? I suspect, you know, there's a legacy here as well, and I'm being really frank, um, that, you know, he's going to try to be as bold as he possibly can. That means, though, he's got to do a lot of work to make sure that um, there's a soft landing for his report and that it's received well. And I think, you know, it's talking to those countries that may um, mistrust the system a bit more um, and making sure they're going to be okay with some of the things that he may say. Um, but, you know, there, you can't underestimate the kind of moral authority that a secretary general has as well in setting the agenda. So I think he's going to have to, but on that spectrum, he'll have to figure out how much leeway he really has um, and what he thinks has to be done. And then hopefully we'll have a report that then will serve as the basis. If a lot of the countries hate it, they're going to do their own thing. And, and so we'll, you know, watch the space. And when does that, when do we expect that report? Before the end of the year, so I'm hearing the end of November or the very beginning of December. Uh, okay, and then the and so, negotiations would start in January or February. Okay, and so so we have the report coming at the end of the year, early next year, the negotiations start. And is the goal to have them by the UN summit in September of 2015, so like heads of state can sign it? Or is that too ambitious mm -hmm. and they think they'll need to like December 31st of 2015? So I, it, 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 everyone is saying it's the September 2015 summit. Um, whether those negotiations, you know, will actually finish in August and then their, you know, heads of state will just come and sign the dotted line, gavel the thing through, or if negotiations happen all the way to the last minute, we'll see. I suspect with an agenda this broad and with pretty controversial, high political issues in there, we'll probably, you know, go up to September. Um, I don't really see this going until December um, because it's the high-level event. You know, with the heads of state, they're really going to have to answer to their, you know, bosses from the capital coming and saying, okay, what have you guys come up with? Mm -hmm. So, that, I mean, that, that I remember that from the last big UN reform push in 2005. I mean, having all the heads of state come is like – is a deadline all itself. Like you said, like when it your is. boss comes, 
you better have something for them to sign. You better have something to sign, exactly. Um, the other, um, one other thing I was going to say, just in terms of the process, is there's a big financing for development conference in Addis Ababa in July, right before the summit, and that's where the financing issues will be fleshed out. And so that'll set the stage for September. Well, thank you so much, Min, too. Thank you all for listening. Um, quick question out there for you listeners. So this conversation, at least for me, I thought strike struck a good balance between uh, like a depth of analysis and also accessibility for an audience that might not be as expertly into these issues as perhaps I am or clearly as Min Too is. If you thought that balance was well struck, please let me know. If you thought perhaps we got a little too wonky, also let me know. You know, I want to make this a service for everyone out there who cares about these issues. So let me know if this is accessible to you because that's the whole point of this. Uh, I think it is, um, but I want to hear from you. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or send me an email via markleongoldberg.com. And finally, remember, you can subscribe to Global Dispatches on iTunes. We're also available on Stitcher Radio, which is a free podcasting service. Thanks for listening. Bye.